Hi, dreamers. This is Lucy, and welcome to another episode of the Self Made Expats with Lucy Jan, where I interview expats from all across the globe to share their inspiring and motivating stories. Today, I'm here with Nina Cataldo, the founder of Hafu Ladies, a global community for half a mixed Japanese woman. Nina is also a travel writer, storyteller, intercultural communications consultant, and anthropologist in training. She was born and raised in Japan, and she moved to the US when she was eight years old. And after university, she moved back to Japan and worked in Tokyo for a while before she moved to London last year. We're going to talk about her passion for traveling and writing, and her experience living in Japan, the US, and the UK, and also her entrepreneurial journey of building Hapu Ladies. Welcome to the show, Nina. I'm super excited to have you here with us today. Thank you so much, Lucy. I'm super excited to be here. Wow. I have so many questions. We have so many topics to discuss today. So let's start with traveling. So, obviously, you know, you travel to many countries and you're passionate about traveling. And、mm-hmm. I was really fascinated to learn that you traveled on peace boat. For three and a half months as a communication coordinator in 2019. So, for our listeners,、uh, Peace Boat is a Japan based international NGO which promotes peace, human rights, and sustainability. And、uh, Peace Boat carries out main activities through a passenger ship. So, just, to, you know, <laughs> just for our listeners. So, this is super fascinating. So, can you tell us you know, what it was like traveling on Peace Boat and what made you decide to join? Yeah, absolutely. So, Peace boat、um, goes around the world. It's a, it's a global journey that took us to 20 plus countries around the world, literally a whole loop. And、um, there's an opportunity to join the ship as an interpreter. We call them communication coordinators.、Mm-hmm. So it's an opportunity that I actually heard about from a colleague when I was still in university. And it was kind of in the back of my head for a while. And when I felt like my,、um, my career as an editor at a publishing firm in Japan was kind of coming to an end, I wanted some way to leverage myself and go into a different trajectory of life. So I wanted to apply for a peace boat and go on this journey. So that's what I did. And I got the job.、Um, and I was among about 20 other interpreters who were doing either、oh. Japanese and English, like myself, or Chinese and Japanese, or for some people, all three languages. Lots of really, really talented interpreters、uh, mm. came together. And none of us necessarily have had like、um, a professional、um, interpretation career prior. Some people did. But most、mm-hmm. of us were just volunteers who had the experience of being bilingual or learning a second language.、Mm-hmm. And so we came together and worked on this ship. And it was really, really great because、um, throughout the time, like even though we travel around the world, most of the journey is spent on the ship, going from place、mm-hmm. to place. And so during those times on the ship, we would have.、Um, We would have guest lecturers come from all over the world and join us on the ship and tell us about, say, like their journalism experience in South、wow. America. Or、um, we had a professional come to talk about the Northern Lights because we went to Iceland <gasps> to see the Northern Lights.、And、we went、so、to Iceland I, by ship. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that、That's、was from、so、Canada,、cool. Canada <gasps> to Iceland.、Um, And、um, yeah, so we got to interpret for them. So we became really informative in all these different kinds of、um, topics as well. And when we got to different、um, ports, we got to also interpret for the local guides and learn about the culture, learn about the, the, the food and、uh, the places we went. And so for me, for I think for a lot of people, they go on the ship as a way to see the world. Yeah. And, and even though that was a big factor for me as well, ironically, I wanted to be on the ship to kind of connect more with the Japanese community because about、mm. 80% of the passengers are Japanese. And my, 
my community in Tokyo, living in Tokyo, is mostly filled with expats and international folks. And so I felt like this going around the world with Japanese people was actually a way、mm. for me to connect with them more and to be able、mm. to actually practice my Japanese more as well. Because、mm. most of my days were filled with speaking in English, even in Japan. And Peace Boat gave me an opportunity to kind of、um, practice more vocabulary, more professional vocabulary in Japanese、mm. too. So, yeah, it was this whirlwind of a way to connect with my Japanese side more deeply and to see the world at the same time. Wow, that's super cool. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <so> many... yeah. <laughs> Did you want to say something? Sorry.、Uh... Oh, no, no, go ahead. No, I mean, like, you know, first of all, that, like, you know, we're, we're going to talk about your, you know,、uh, you know, your, your, you know, you grew, grew up in a, in a bilingual and bicultural、uh, household. We're going to, you know, deep dive on the topic. So I'm going to save that question for later because you mentioned something about like you wanted to, you know, engage more with, you know, local Japanese people.、Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, definitely. Deep dive, I want to deep dive on more, more on that later on. But like when you told me about, like, you know, traveling to Iceland by ship, I was like, wow. I've never seen Northern Light. I always wanted to, but I just somehow, I don't know, I haven't yet. This is so cool. So, like,、uh, I've never traveled、uh, on ship. Like, how, like how, how many days were the longest days that you were on ship? Yeah, I think the longest stretches we had、uh, was between Japan and Hawaii, which was 10 days long. Wow. And then、um, also towards the end, I think it was either from Thailand or Singapore back to Japan was about two weeks. So、wow. those are the really long stretches where we didn't see any land. <laughs>、um, <laughs> and w e don't we don't really have like internet on the ship as well. Like you can like、mm. pay for some Wi Fi, but it's really, really、um, unstable. So I spent、mm. most of my time without a phone. Which was so nice. Yeah. Just being really present in the moment,、yeah. which allowed me to、um, deepen my,、uh, my relationships with the people that I met on the ship as well. Wow, that's so cool. And then, do you travel, did you travel with the same people from、mm-hmm. the day one to like, you、yeah. know, the end? Oh, yeah. wow.、So、it's the full, full 106 days with the same people. You really become like family. Yeah. Like some of, some of the, the friends I've made on the ship are truly、uh, some of my、oh. best friends to this day. Wow. This is super cool. This is super cool. Okay. So, and,、um, you know, yeah. Yeah. So, like, you, you traveled, you know, on Pace Boat, and obviously you love traveling, and you've been a travel writer for many years.、Mm-hmm. And、um, not only that, you published, you know, books as well, like two conversational English books as well. And、mm-hmm. I saw that you studied, you know,、uh, you know, strategic communications and creative writing for your bachelor's. So, I'm curious, what do you like? What do you like about Writing and also, why did you choose specifically travel you know, to become a travel writer? Well, I've always loved writing.、Um, I come from a really artistic family where、mm. both of my grandmothers are professional artists, painters.、Um, and so, my, my parents really encouraged my artistic、um, style from a young age. But actually, when I moved to the States in second grade,、um, One of the formative things that my teacher at that point told my parents was like, she's really strong at writing, which is、oh, something、wow. they never really thought about. They thought, you know, painting, drawing, those things I was strong at. But actually, I started like writing stories. We had these、um, pet rats in the classroom.、Mm. And so I used to write stories about the rats and like share them with the class and things. So that kind of encouraged my writing. And as I, As I went along, like in high school, English was always my favorite topic.、Mm-hmm. Um, I just love the way that, like, you could use words as, as a way to tell stories and connect、mm-hmm. with people. And so when I got to university and I was doing communications, I actually took a journalism class and realized that I really liked that, like, really writing aspect of it、um, mm-hmm. uh, under pressure as well. I enjoyed that.、Oh. So. <laughs> Like、yeah. deadline kind of stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so that's why I added my creative writing undergrad. And I really, truly enjoyed those classes so much、mm. that、um, after university, when I moved to Japan, 
doing writing the the conversational English books was a lot more technical writing, which mm. wasn't necessarily something that I enjoyed fully. So I wanted to find a more creative outlet for my writing. Mm. And so oddly, I was looking for like writing opportunities around Japan, around Tokyo, like trying to join like writers workshops and things. Mm. And I was looking on Craigslist. And uh, came across this post um, about this new website that was starting about Japan travel. And um, they were just looking for for like freelance writers who'd write about their experiences traveling around Japan for like for like $20 an article, like nothing major, Mm -hmm. but just something that I could do to continue telling stories yeah so um I started doing that with the company and because I understood the Japanese culture and spoke the language they started hiring me for bigger projects that they received (gasps) so they started sending me all over Japan to do like two three four day long trips and to write multiple articles about them so it really just kind of like fell into place where um, it, it came because I just wanted to continue writing more. And then it turned into this whole thing. Um, and because of that experience with that company, um, other companies started hiring me as well. Mm. And it just turned into this this whole career trajectory from it. It just like happens just like like a magic. It's just like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I guess the whole universe trying to help you out, I guess, like, <laughs> yeah. it just, like, happened, right? Yeah. Wow. And, and I just, I really loved that. I loved going to, like, um, rural parts of Japan and small communities mm. around Japan and being able to connect with the local people and hear their stories. Mm. I've met so many wonderful people along the way. Like I would be walking down the street with my backpack because it's like rural Japan. There's like Mm. one, one train an hour or like two trains a day or something. And Mm. I would just be walking and people would pick me up. Be like, do you need a ride? And (laughs) I would just be able to connect with people more deeply um, and more authentically. And I just loved the fact that I could help, bridge the gap between people who only spoke Japanese and people around the world who can understand or read English and to be able to tell those local stories through my outlet of being able to write in English. Wow. And I I, I definitely think that you definitely had a very strength, you know, good strengths there because, you know, uh, you're bilingual. So you, mm-hmm. and then not only that, like you're bicultural, right? You understand yeah. Japanese culture and exactly. also English speaking culture. So you, un- yeah. you understand like both sides, you know, Asian culture and North American culture are, are quite different. Very different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not only about the language, right? You understand the language and also culture. So when you, I guess, like, I'm sure when you write, I mean, you kind of, I don't know, like to translate the, the, the local Japanese culture into something, I don't know, Westernized or whatever. Totally. I'm sure that's like your, your strength. Um, yeah. I think I'm able to explain things mm-hmm. to people better because yeah. I understand what one culture might not understand that yeah, might seem exactly. like obvious to the other culture. Yeah. You know? And that was that was kind of my strength when I went into consulting as well, because Mm. when I was working with different regions around Japan, like the locals thought some things they do were just um, we say atarimae, which means like obviously true or obviously just what it is. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So to them, some things might be atarimae, some things might be just like obvious as to what it is. Mm -hmm. But when you actually look at it from an outside perspective, I'm like, no, this is actually very unique to your culture. or This is something Mm -hmm. that like people in Western cultures might not understand. So being able to like tell them and empower them that these are the unique qualities of their Japanese culture and to be able to convey that to Western cultures and for people in the West to like be able to understand and appreciate more deeply was really important to me. Yeah, super cool. And like, you know, even like, you know, I'm from Korea and in Korea and Japan are quite similar. We're we're in Asia, we're in East Asia, similar Mm -hmm. it is there. But still, like, I'm sure there are many things that I don't know and many things that are probably obvious. Atari, Atari Mm -hmm. Maya, the Japanese character, but not to me. So like, you know, I'm always fascinated, you know, by learning new culture and stuff like that. So, uh, I mean, this is so great, so amazing. So, okay, I I want to. So, I definitely want to talk to talk more about you know the being bilingual and bicultural, mm-hmm. and your experience living in Japan in the U.S. So, so um, you know, so you 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 were born and raised in Japan, and then you moved to the U.S. when you're eight years old. Mm-hmm. So, 
how would your experience because you know so i feel like eight years old is quite young but still you know i'm sure you had friends that you know you still have like it's not like three years old right so yeah, how would your experience how would your experience like you know living in japan and moving to the u.s which is a completely different country completely different culture how was your experience adapting to a new culture when you were eight years old yeah, so I was lucky that when I was living in Japan, I went to international school. So I did have the understanding of Western culture. And um, luckily, like we would spend the summers visiting my, my dad's family in America. And I also had my American grandparents living in Japan at the same time we were there. Mm-hmm. So I did have that kind of understanding of, of obviously of English, but also of the culture as well. However, it was still kind of this culture shock when I moved to America because I think one of the biggest differences was like how like rowdy the kids are like in America, like especially at that age, people are just very loud and outspoken and and, like I saw like I went to public school and like kids would like steal things from each other and I was just like just such a (laughs) different um, experience so that was very much a shock and and we moved in the summer so I had like about a month or two before some uh, school started Mm. and during that time I was watching a lot of American cartoons to kind of pick up on the the language yeah more you know like the trendy linguistics um to kind of uh, be able to speak with my peers more and um yeah it, it was um kind of a shock I think I think it was a lot more of a shock for my mom obviously having lived in Japan mm. all her life and then moving to America oh so for her she's she, she lived in Japan for whole whole life and then yeah. she moved to the U.S. for the first time wow yeah yeah and so mm. you know and this is like before really like internet and things are very yeah. common like when we when we got there like we like my dad was an early adopter so we had a computer in the house since like the early 90s but um, still like we have the dial-up internet and all of our communication with our like family in Japan was done over fax <laughs> and things like that so it wasn't as easy to stay in touch but I was really lucky that my parents were really supportive mm-hmm. um, in the adapting uh process to america and i got enrolled in japanese school as well so on saturday i would go to japanese school yeah and and that's that japanese school in itself saturday school is something that if you ask a lot of like hafu people or Mm -hmm. or japanese people who lived overseas like it's one of those things that like we all hated but we're all so <laughs> grateful for now. Oh, why, 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 why uh, did you or like everyone kind of like hate to go to Saturday? Is it because of weekend or is it like? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're trying to fit into American culture or any culture around mm-hmm. the world you're living in, and and everyone's playing on Saturdays, but you have to go to school all day on Saturday. Yeah. Like, it's really hard as a kid to understand why you had to like put yourself through that. Friday nights were just. Um, crying crying because we had to like do all the homework we were given for the whole week and one night and um and it went from 9 a.m to 3 30 p.m that's that's a a huge commitment it's not like two hours i felt like it's one hour two hours yeah and and like the (laughs) yeah the portland japanese school where i went is known as one of the more tougher um japanese schools in the states as well so it was a lot of tests um, a lot of kind of like trying to keep up with the Japanese curriculum back in Japan. So, yeah, it was it was really difficult. And um, my parents put me in it as a way to, for me to stay connected with my Japanese side and my Japanese language, especially because, you know, in Japanese, we have to do the the kanjis, the, like the yeah. Chinese characters and things. And those aren't things you can just like easily learn. It's something you have to actually practice. So mm. um, so I went, but I don't think they even thought that I would ever move back to Japan so they were like you know as long as you're going you don't have to get good grades like you just have to like go and like participate and um so it was um quite lenient for me unlike some of the other kids in the school who were um Japanese expat families so they were only in America for like two three years and they have to go back to Japan they really have to learn yeah yeah Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly so since they didn't see that as a plan for me like um, I didn't have to take it as seriously, but I did go through to about when I was 15 or 16. 
um, and then and then I quit Japanese school to focus more on um, American high school and to go to American university. Um, but it was still great to have those foundations and and those friends that I made at Japanese school are also some of my closest friends yeah. to this day. Yeah, because I bet like you guys could understand each other you know, way better than any other people. Because like, the, you know, I, whether it's expats, you know, just like for, you know, living in, in the U.S. for a short term or not, like still similar kind of situation, kind of, you know, resonate with each other yeah. better. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I bet, I bet. So, so you mentioned earlier about your mom, you know, she's, you know, she, for whole, whole her life, she lived in Japan and she moved to the U.S. So um, you were raised in bilingual, bicultural household. So I, I assume like you spoke like Japanese and English uh, at home. What I'm obviously not, you know, bicultural, bilingual, I have no idea. So what was it like to, you know, experience you know, two very different cultures growing up in a household and how has it impacted your way of thinking and living? Because I'm asking this question because I think because like, uh, again, Japan and Korea, same Asian countries, but like there are differences, but still, I mean, like Asia, right? Korea, when I compare Korea with the US, there are a lot of like cultural wise and there are a lot of differences. So yeah, what what's your experience? (laughs) Yeah, I think, well, so when when I was still very young, still living in Japan, <clears throat> the way that my parents um, made sure that I was able to be exposed bilingually was that um, with my mom, I only spoke Japanese and my mm. dad only spoke English to me. And he sometimes, he, he's told me recently too, like, um, like we would be playing with our, our like Japanese family friends and like my dad would speak Japanese to my friends when we we're like you know three four years old but then mm-hmm. to me he would only speak in English and I would cry being like why doesn't like daddy speak in in Japanese to me oh. but like it was very much like they made that clear-cut difference of knowing that mm-hmm. like with with the dad it's English with the mom it's Japanese and mm-hmm. living in Japan it's like everyday uh, encounters are in Japanese, but like uh, international school, it's all English. So there were like very like clear cut differences on like when, which language was used, which I think helped me kind of develop the understanding of what language is what. So I'm sure that I mixed up some words when I was little as, as all little kids who are growing Mm. up bilingually do, but like you start to kind of develop like this different settings in which you use the different languages, which helps you develop them. Um, But yeah, like, I think coming to the States, um, growing up, especially being a teenager was really difficult because Mm. I think in the household, it was very Japanese in the sense that like, by the time I was old enough to understand, like when it was the the family, the three of us, I'm an only child, by the way. Mm. So when it was the three of us, it would always be in Japanese, like conversations around the dinner table in Japanese. Okay. So your dad also speaks Japanese. Yes. Yes. So between Mm. my parents, they speak Japanese. Um, And so like between the three of us, it would be mainly in Japanese and things. So like the household was in some ways like very Japanese, but Mm. then like we're living in this Western culture. (laughs) And so, yeah. like, being influenced by my my um, my time at American school and things, like, I I become like a regular American teenager, you know, yeah, dressing yeah. in American ways or yeah, using, of course, yeah, yeah like li- lingo and things like that. And like, I remember sometimes my mom would be like, "You're just too American," and like, <laughs> be yeah. upset about it. And I'm like. I didn't choose to move yeah. when, you know, move out of Japan. Like you guys chose for us to <laughs> live in America. You can't like be mad at me for becoming too American. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that was a huge struggle throughout. Uh, it, it was a huge struggle when I was um, a teenager um, trying to understand like what I was supposed to be, like what was the norm, like how my parents wanted me to be and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we grow up, grew up in like a very predominantly white community as well. The city mm-hmm. that I grew up in was, I think it's like 93% white or something. Wow. So yeah, very homogenous in that sense. Uh, and so I kind of like picked up on that culture, 
Mm-hmm. And because I am half white, I kind of was able to like blend in with that. I wasn't, I wasn't too often like outcast because I was Asian or anything like that. Like there's the few occasions of, you know, people thinking like, like my, my bento, my lunch was like gross <laughs> and weird or typical <laughs> stories like that. But yeah. all in all, like I was able to blend in and that kind of like put me in this mentality where I was like, I'm just like everybody else. Like I'm just yeah. a white girl. <laughs> um <laughs> which I think in some ways protected me from things in, in America. And I was able to live kind of safely. Mm. Um, and it was actually a lot more difficult when I came back to Japan after university, mm. because, mm-hmm. because I, again, like coming back to Japan, I was like, Oh, I'm going back to my home country. Like yeah. I speak the language. I have family. I am Japanese. There's nothing that's different about me. But then I realized that, because of the way I look, like I am actually not treated a hundred percent like a, a Japanese person, mm. and, and so that was the huge, um, huge thing where like my parents raised me really well in terms of being bicultural and bilingual, but um, the I, I don't think I don't think they would have ever realized. I don't think I ever realized like how difficult the transition back was going to be as an adult by myself where I don't have the protection of my parents either yeah that's yeah wow so compare so you mentioned something about like you know going back to Japan as an adult the kind of like society the perception societal perception or whatever like the acceptance by the society as like a full Japanese person when you compare that experience with America you mentioned that like over 90 percent was predominantly you know white Mm -hmm. How was America? Like, do you feel like, uh, you know, people were asking kind of or asking you, oh, like, are you like white or Asian? Like how, when you compare between Japan and America, because now America is more diverse, but I'm not sure. It depends on the the, the area. Right. So, how, yeah, when you comp- yeah, I think um I think a lot of times, like, I was very ethnically ambiguous. Like, people couldn't pinpoint what I was. A lot of people Mm. thought I was Hispanic. (laughs) (laughs) So I got that a lot growing up. Um, But I don't think a lot of people really asked from what Mm. I can recall or, like, you know, um, questioned me too much about what my background was Mm. and things like that. Um, they just kind of assumed that was just one of them, one of them, mm-hmm. whatever them means. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's only like as I as I grow older, like I kind of take more pride in my background, and like if mm-hmm. it's ever brought up, um, I'll talk about it, or like I'll make a point to talk about it because mm-hmm. it is so important to me about being mm-hmm. mixed race, about. Um, speaking out against like Asian hate, for example, which has mm. been you know so huge in recent years. Yeah. Um, and it's something that's affected my mother. It's affected a lot of my peers. Mm. So um, even though I, I can't say that I've personally been um, a victim of that in more recent years, especially because I don't spend much time in America now, but like I, I do still like speak up against it and speak mm. for the people who affects it. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. yeah good on you good on you that's that's good to hear and uh and you mentioned earlier something about like you know when you when you came back to japan as an adult you know it was it was the transition was not as easy you know it, it was a bit difficult um and i i i i, I believe you 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 studied in japan for a semester right during mm-hmm. the uni um is that something that is that like the experience that you're referring to if then like you know what was the uh and I know that you know after that you also lived in Japan and Tokyo working you know working in Tokyo as well but like you know obviously you you left Japan when you were young and then now you came back to Japan when you were an adult what was the expectation that you had Mm. and how different was your experience compared to that expectation yeah, I think my expectation was that I was going to just fully blend in and mm. just be accepted back into this country that I call home. Mm-hmm. And the reality of it was that everywhere I went, people treated me like I was a foreigner. Not only that, people treated me like I was a tourist, which was very <laughs> offensive. <laughs> I am Japanese yeah. guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I think one of the biggest like microaggressions is like 
walking into a restaurant and without being asked if I want an English menu or a Japanese menu, they yeah. just give me the English menu. And I yeah. hated that so much because, yeah. because A, the English menu is never fully complete. Like if you compare like an English menu to a Japanese menu in, in, in one restaurant, like there's things missing on the English menu <laughs> that are on the Japanese menu. Yeah. So, so I really disliked that, that like, people didn't like give you the option of like oh which mm. menu do you, would you like yeah. or like you know what language would you like me to speak in or something and instead they just assume that i would need english support or like mm. need things to be communicated in english when i can just fully do that in japanese mm. so that was really that i think that was really difficult um and it's just like the day-to-day microaggressions of everywhere i went it's oh your japanese is so good and and all these things and I've oddly through my travel writing having spent so much time all over Japan and rural parts of Japan I've found that it's actually um, a lot a lot more difficult in Tokyo where people do see tourists and like foreigners all the time like they just kind of assume I'm one of them versus in the countryside people a lot of times like have never like encountered a foreign person so they yeah. just treat me like a Japanese person instead yeah. which I actually really appreciate more yeah <laughs> yeah exactly exactly well yeah. I get that yeah because like, obviously Tokyo like there's so many travelers and expats as, as well so I guess like yeah. you know and also like a you know I don't know about Japan but for for Korea like it's such I, I believe Japan as well but like it's such a homogeneous country now it's uh yes. it's it's uh is changing a little bit uh uh but like even when i was growing up like it's so rare to see foreigners and then yeah. like when i was young like you know i thought like every white pe- white person is from america that yeah <laughs> you know oh, yeah. You're, you're from america because you're white and they hated it like english teachers they hated it i'm not from america <laughs> i'm from yeah. canada they, i'm from australia you know like they want to you know i'm not like me being white yeah, yeah exactly it's not just america oh. there are other countries outside <laughs> i just, just had no idea <laughs> yeah i think i think it's a little bit of like the american occupation hangover and in same in korea right there's such a huge military presence of mm-hmm. americans and i think mm-hmm. that's why people um associate white people with yeah maybe yeah Mm -hmm. and and like I remember probably about two years ago I was at this little like Japanese restaurant and and the 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 mom the the owner was like oh like are you are you from over there and I was like what does over there mean like there's like (laughs) What do you mean? 200 other countries in the world where over there can apply to but like <laughs> obviously like for her it meant like America oh. and it was this it, it was just so funny to me that like people just assume like if you're white or like yeah. if you're not Japanese um then you're from the states and, yeah. and it is really hard I think it is changing in Japan at least because we do have a lot of Australians a lot of oh, Kiwis okay um, so it it is changing but it is still that upset uh, assumption that like you're, yeah. you're either from like the states or Australia or New Zealand is like these predominantly like uh white place of uh, white uh, places with white people that like people come to Japan from yeah and and it kind of erases the the stories of people Mm. from other parts of the world which i think is a shame yeah yeah exactly exactly wow super fun sharing these stories Um, (laughs) (laughs) one one question that i am super curious to ask is that you know you you speak japanese uh and english and you grew up, uh, you know, in you know bilingual, bicultural household, and you lived in Japan and also in the U.S. Uh, do you feel that your personality changes when you speak Japanese and when you speak English? Like for me, I'm not even bilingual. I'm not like even like you know grew up in a you know bicultural household, but like even for me, I noticed that like my personality changes. I don't know. It's oh, yeah. very weird. So yeah, can you, can you tell me more about like <laughs> your, yeah, your experience? Ab- yeah, 
Absolutely, it changes. I think I noticed that when I speak in Japanese, I'm a lot,、um, a bit more like coy, I guess, in the sense of like I'm a bit more reserved.、Mm. Um, I I kind of give off that aura, the body language that the Japanese、yeah. people do, you know, bowing more, yeah,、um, kind yeah, of yeah. like making myself small, not in like a negative sense, but it's like humble, way, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah. just carry yourself differently and. And、when I speak English, I'm more, more boisterous and、yeah. um, kind of able to also express myself better because even though I am bilingual, my English is stronger. Like、mm-hmm. I do have a lot more vocabulary. I did go to university、mm-hmm. uh, in English, you know, did it in English. So like it, it is a lot. I am able to be a lot more animated and like、mm-hmm. a lot more、um, able to express myself better in the way that like. I might not be able to in Japanese, and I do kind of like it, when I speak Japanese. Like I do kind of like try to like fit myself in that mold a bit more without、mm-hmm. letting go of my personality, but like kind of being able to be, I guess, like kukiomu, which means you know reading the air, like kind of、mm-hmm. being able to fit myself with the with the environment I am in, with the people I'm interacting with. Yeah, so true, so true. Wow. This is super interesting. I guess, like for Japan, correct me if I'm wrong, but like I guess I I know that I heard that like Japan is very huge with the harmony. It's such a harmonious、yes. country, right? Yeah.、Uh, I think that's one of the beauty about like Japanese culture, right? They they really value harmony, you know.、Um, and also, you know, Korea a little bit, oops, Korea a little bit similar too as well. Like you know, when you were saying that, you know. When you speak Japanese, you you tend to bow a little bit more. You tend to kind of, kind of try to fit in the the environment.、Uh, I I think it's also part of it is kind of like Korea as well. Like when I speak、mm-hmm. Korean, I I see I find myself like, you know, be more humble. Yeah. You know, <laughs> not too outspoken. <laughs> But do you do you have preference? Like oh, like because I do.、Uh, like for example, oh, I like. I you know I feel more myself when I speak Japanese or when I speak English or maybe like I like、mm. me more when I speak Korean when I speak Japanese、mm. or English. You have that or、uh, I mean、really? it's 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 all based on the situation. It's、mm-hmm. whatever language that helps me convey my communication with the people around me that's important.、Mm. So I don't necessarily think like I feel more myself in one language、mm. or the other. Um, but again, like because my vocabulary is larger in English, I feel like I can express myself more vibrantly、mm-hmm. when I am、mm-hmm. speaking in English. But that doesn't really limit me from like my communication in Japanese. Like I'm able to communicate、mm-hmm. with my my family. Well, I'm able to communicate with、um, with clients or colleagues.、Mm-hmm. You know, just just great enough to to be able to get what I need to do across. What、mm-hmm. I need to say across,、um, and it is situational because, like, yeah, again, like it's whatever that helps me get my message across. Whatever helps me communicate、mm-hmm. with the people I'm communicating with in the situation, whatever language that's in, that helps、mm-hmm. me. Like that works, and that's great. And so、mm-hmm. I'm really. Happy and and grateful and lucky that I can switch back and forth like yeah that. that that's really amazing because it really you know shows that like you know you know your 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 you know、uh, bilingualism and also like bicultural right you know you can、mm-hmm. kind of switch up like between Japan and 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 English right like Japanese、yeah. and English and、yeah. uh, it's really fascinating I know I I, I wanted I, I was really curious like. You know how you know if personality changes, or do you feel different identity, or like you know, I don't know. It was、uh... yeah. It it's funny because my dad is actually trilingual, so he、oh, speaks、wow. three three languages fluently. He he grew up in Germany, so he has that added, and it's it's interesting to see witness him like kind of switching. His personality or like himself、yeah. between those languages, and like I really, I really do wish he taught me German as well. But I know it was already a handful to try to make a child bilingual、yeah. on top of you know <laughs> running your own company and stuff. So I get that, but like it is to me, it's really fascinating. Like I always wonder, like what 
I would be like if I spoke German or yeah. what my interactions would be like and like seeing him interact with his like mm. um, childhood and high school friends in German and then switching mm. to English in the middle of a sentence because they all went wow. to international school together and then mm. turning over and then speaking Japanese to my mom and like <laughs> super cool wow yeah. that's super cool wow yeah. wow Wow, Japanese, English, German. Wow, I always admire like you know polyglots, like people like who speak like multiple languages. Super cool, but, yeah. but yeah, it's not easy. I try to try to learn new languages, like foreign languages, like as an adult. I don't know, maybe it's a lack of motivation, what not, but like it's definitely not easy. <laughs> I mean, what what? Uh, how old were you when you started learning English? So I started learning English quite young, like when I was six. Uh, okay. Just in Korea, they like, just went to like English, I don't know, institute uh, yeah. every week. So yeah, like I, I started learning quite young. So so that that's good that you you got that. Like because I yeah. feel like if you were to teach yourself or learn English as an adult, it would be a lot yeah. harder. Exactly. Um, but I know so many people who who've done it, and I'm just constantly amazed. Uh, I wish I had the the discipline and the ability to learn another language yeah. <laughs> but I don't I just have the two that I I learned as a baby I mean I took French for seven years but that's kind of wow out French now, is so, so difficult <laughs> French is really difficult yeah it's such yeah. a beautiful language though but yeah, yeah it's, it's a fun language yeah Okay, so let's uh, switch to uh, half ladies. I, you know, definitely want to talk more about, you know, you know, what is, you know, why did you create this community, and uh, you know, what topics in, you know, do you guys discuss, and etc. And also your entrepreneur journey. Um, so yeah, can you can you tell us, you know, you know, half ladies, you know, is a global community for half and mixed Japanese women. Um, is a community that you created, but like, can you tell us more about like, you know, why did you create it at the first place, and what are some of the topics and discussions that you guys are, you know, discussing? Yeah, absolutely. So going back to moving back to Japan as an adult, mm. I felt really isolated and had a hard time like finding people that really understood um, mm. where I was coming from with the struggle of fitting in. Not necessarily fitting in, but like feeling accepted and yeah. belonging. Mm. And um, and I I had um, international school friends that I, I went to school with when I was still in Japan as a kid, um, who were hafu as well. And even connecting with them because they grew up in Japan all throughout their teenage years and things like they were kind of like, oh, we just like ignore it when people are you know racist towards us or da di da. So it was hard to even connect with them. Mm. Um, and so the first two years or so were really hard to kind of try to find friends who understood me. Um, but luckily through this project that this photographer, Tetsuro Miyazaki, was doing, um, he was doing this project called Hafu to Hafu, where he was mm. photographing half Japanese people from around the world. Oh, wow. um, and I connected with him at one of his workshops and became really good friends. And discovered through that um, interaction that there is an entire Hafu community out there. And so there's this Facebook group called Hafu Japanese with over 7,000 members worldwide. And it's for it's for people who are Hafu like myself, but also for parents who have Hafu children. And um, it was such a great thing to discover and to mm. see that there are um, other people who share the same struggles and celebrations as I do as being as being um, half Japanese. Um, and so that was a really great support system. But what I noticed in that group is that sometimes I didn't 100% feel safe, like asking questions that pertain to um, things where my intersection of the identity of being a woman was kind of like respected. Mm. Um, and also like having parents in the group like they had their own perception of like mm. how they want to raise their kids and things and like sometimes kind of silenced Hafu voices in that way mm. and so I wanted to create a community that was a lot more based on um, safety for women specifically yeah. and so that got me thinking about creating this community um, and just started with just asking some Hafu female friends like what do you guys think if there was a group like this people were like yeah totally awesome sounds great 
So, um, yeah, and it just started with um, this small Facebook community that just kept wow. growing and growing. Wow. Um, and it's kind of it's kind of plateaued now at about 1,200 members, which is, which is totally lot. fine. Yeah. Um, and it's become this support network for women to be able to ask um, questions about their uh, Hafa identity that pertain more to the female experience as well. Mm. Um, there's like a subgroup for moms who are Hafu, who are raising kids who are mm. mixed race as well, mm. um, to support, support one another. Um, and yeah, we started with um, having the online community and also doing social events about once a month or once every two months in Tokyo because that's where I was based. Wow. But luckily, the pandemic kind of allowed us to expand that more mm. and to be able to host events online. And that wow. allowed us to do like, um, you know, um, like uh, lectures around language and identity or yoga or dance mm. or um, writing workshops and wow. um, having discussions around uh, pride or you know, the intersections of LGBTQ and, oh. and being Hafu and a woman or, or all those different kinds of identities that um, are within, that are diversely included within our community. So, um, yeah, so that's what we've been able to do. Um, it's something that I want to continue doing. It's, it's, it's a little dormant at the time, at, at this mm-hmm. time, because I'm focusing on my master's, but mm-hmm. part of doing my master's is so that I can go back to Hafu ladies and be able to like revamp it as this supportive community that is, uh, has the backbone of like my academic understanding as well in order to be a better leader in the community. And um, my, my, um, my value is in like trying to empower others. So like, I don't Mm. necessarily want to be this like leader that speaks for people or things like Mm. that. I want other women in the community to be able to, feel like they have this this community that has supported them in order to empower them to be able to speak up when there are like um, racial inequalities or, or gender inequalities and things like that, that they feel like they have more confidence to be able to um, be leaders within their own communities as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, wow. And, and yeah, so like we have three pillars in, in Hafu Ladies and that's uh, to educate, embrace, and to empower. So that kind of goes, goes into all those pillars that I believe in, that we believe in. Mm -hmm. I feel that like community is so important. I feel like, you know, uh, I don't know, like, you know, you mentioned like when you, when you first moved back to Japan, you feel like, you know, you wanted to connect with people who can understand you. Um, Yeah. I think that's the beauty of a community. Like we want to feel belong to some like a place where we feel seen and we feel understood because like you know even entrepreneurship journey as well like you know even if like you know some things that I'm going through even if no matter how great my friend is if she's not doing entrepreneur at all she would never understand what I'm going through right for instance yeah. That, yeah, that's huge. And like, I don't know if we're going to talk about like, uh, the the project my friend and I started called Brave and Bold Mastermind. Mm. But that's exactly what it was, was like, um, in terms of entrepreneurship, like, during the pandemic, like we both became entrepreneurs, my friend who used to live in Japan, but lives in California now, she's Japanese American. But like, um, mm. we both felt so lonely, because none of our other friends were going through this entrepreneurial yeah. journey. And especially over the pandemic, where we were so isolated in our homes, you know, you can't go to like co working spaces and things like that. So we started supporting each other once a week on zoom calls, and then um, helping each other develop our own businesses. And that that turned into developing a business together and mm-hmm. supporting each other through that journey. And, and now she's working in a different sector and like still being able to like support each other through the different, um, the points of our life that we've gone through, but stemming from this understanding of entrepreneurship of how yeah. lonely that can feel and how, <laughs> yeah. Impor- yeah, and how important <laughs> it is to find, find other people who completely understand what you're yeah. going through. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Because like, I remember like, it, it, first of all, it's great that like, you know, you, you, you know, you created the mastermind for, you know, other entrepreneurs, you know, I need that hundred percent, you know, like I think every entrepreneur needs a community where they feel, yeah, you know, understood, you know, some things like, because like, you know, when you, beca- I don't know if you registered with me, but like when you became, when you become an entrepreneur, when you have like your, when you're your own boss or whatever, like your friends are telling you like, oh, you're so lucky. You know, you don't have to go to the <laughs> office. <laughs> you can, you can, you know, wake up whenever you want to wake up. But hey, but it's a lot of work. It's very lonely. You want to understand. But at the same time, I feel like, oh my gosh, never mind. I'm just going to deal with this. <laughs> oh yeah. You, you yeah. have to start putting boundaries. There's that really funny like TikTok reel video that was going around for a while that was like, I hated working a nine to five, so I quit my job and became an <laughs> entrepreneur, and now I work twenty four seven. I and know <laughs> it's very true, like so true. Yeah, oh my gosh. I, and, I, and I had to start putting boundaries in for myself because in the mm. beginning I was working seven days a week. I didn't yeah. have this, you know, difference between uh, weekends and weekdays, and because I'm I'm not a morning person, I would like work till like 3am and then sleep till noon and like it was such an unhealthy way Mm. of doing things that I had Mm -hmm. to be like right okay I need to treat my entrepreneurial journey and my business like a typical business so Mm. I you know I'm not gonna look at my emails on Sundays I Mm. am going to make sure I wake up by 7 30 or 8 a.m every day and Mm. I'm gonna give myself a lunch break and like give some structure it's you know not every day is gonna look like that because then you like as a travel art writer you have to like fly places or you have like (laughs) these meetings at random times and and it happens but giving myself a bit of structure and setting boundaries helped me kind of be able to flourish more in my business Mm, as well yeah yeah that's so good like yeah setting the boundary for myself and actually like it, it has been so difficult like for me to give 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 uh you know allow myself to rest you know what i mean allow yeah. myself to actually like have a lunch break or right. not, not look at emails or something oh gosh oh gosh well i mean like you found it like you know hopful ladies and also the mastermind you told me like you definitely have an entrepreneur you know spirit like yeah i have to, i have to ask this question did you always wanted to be an entrepreneur uh, since you were young or like you know when you started half a lady did you think that oh I'm gonna start this business or was it like you know was it more about like oh you know I just want to create this community and you didn't really, it was not like a business at the first I'm just curious yeah I think it's a bit of planned happenstance uh, mm. I did plan out a bit but then I see where the wind takes me you know go yeah. with the flow and see what flourishes out of it like one of the biggest things that came out of creating Hafu Ladies and what I still continue to do now is this belief that, like, if you don't find it, create it. So if, Love if it. Yeah, you know, if, <laughs> if, if, if it doesn't exist, like, I'm doing this even in my master's program now because my program, like, doesn't have any opportunities for us students to network with people in our industry and so mm. I was like, if the school's not going to provide it, I'm just going to create it. So like now, wow. like, and I've gone to the careers office on campus and I've worked with my department and now we've created this <laughs> um, upcoming networking event next week with um, industry professionals who have an anthropology background. And so we're hosting the networking event with like five speakers and, and, and guests and students can come and all this. And it's like, that's something that the school should have created for us, but I can't just sit around and complain that they didn't do it. So I'm just going to do it, (laughs) you know? So I think that kind of um, creating things from the ground up mentality has always been there for me. Um, um, And, and I think entrepreneurship in general is not something that was ever too foreign to me because my parents are entrepreneurs. They started Mm. their own business in the nineties in Japan when it was a very uncommon thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and my dad created his own companies when we moved to America where we started from wow. zero and so it's wow. always been in my yeah. family and it's not mm-hmm. you know you know some families especially I think in Asian cultures they kind of expect you to like 
go to school and then like go into one of these like safety careers, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's Mm -hmm. kind of the given. And so many, so many families, not just Asian families, like they want their kids to be stable and they want them to be in these like salary jobs and things. Mm -hmm. But like, for me, like instability was just part of the experience Mm -hmm. of like finding your journey and your career path and your passion. So like, it's never scared me. And I think having that support from my parents, like, emotionally and like luckily like sometimes if I if I need them they're you know they're really there so like Mm. having that like allowed me to kind of explore what I wanted to do and test out the waters and see what sticks see what Mm. doesn't stick and 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 continue to go with the flow Mm -hmm. wow that's super cool wow you know what honestly like wow like after interviewing you know you and also like other entrepreneurs on the podcast one thing they have in common I find is that all of them are doers yeah you know? <laughs> that's literally the common trait that I that I notice. even you as well like the you know you meant you just mentioned in your school even like hey we don't have this network you know this 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 uh this uh you know this uh event. network yeah. event you know and I'm just gonna create it it's is doer right you yeah. just not sit around you just you know what let me just like go and do it I'm just gonna create it right yeah it takes yeah. a lot of like you know yeah it shows that you know how brave you are and it shows that you know how determined you are as well like you know you I'm just gonna go and do it <laughs> That's yeah the- and, and at the same time um we're you know we've been talking about how um how much of an isolating experience entrepreneurship can be like mm. I was thinking back to one of your questions about you know what are the what are some of the mottos that I live by and one of yeah. the things that, that came to me was um the motto like it takes a village and like oh. typically that that phrase goes it takes a village to raise a child but yes, to yes, me, yes yes to me I think it takes a village really applies to anybody because like Mm. any of the things I've done in my life like I couldn't have done it without the support from other people Mm. I I I couldn't have had Hafu ladies without 1200 women being part of the Mm. group or all the other people who have supported me through the journey I couldn't have done peace boats if I didn't have my friends who took the time to like edit my essay for me or you know like put in a good Mm. word for me I, yeah. I couldn't have done any of these things if it weren't for people who were willing to give me some of their time or to support mm-hmm. me, believe in me. Um, wow. And so I think that's that's a huge thing in any any entrepreneur's journey is that it's never alone. Like, yeah. sure, if you're inventing something, sometimes it could be very much like in your head, in your yeah. office or something. But like, all in all, at the end of the day, you're going to have to connect with other people. And 100%. They're, they're the ones mm. who are going to support you and back you up mm. and things like that. So like, really... I, I, I like to lean into the fact that like it takes a village. That's why I like to mentor people. That's why I like to always mm. say like, how can I help and like be there for mm. other people as well? Because I think that is so important to everyone. Wow. Even like you today, like coming on the podcast and sharing your story, it means a lot to me, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, so thank you for that. You know, honestly, of yeah, I'm so thank honored. You for that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Love your motto. Okay. Uh, uh, we didn't really talk a lot about your, you know, your your life in UK, but like if you want to briefly talk about it, you can do that as well. But I have one more question. I will let you go. But just, uh, yeah, like a one question about the UK. You're studying anthropology right now. How, you know, you lived in Japan, US, and now in the, you're in the UK, in London, one of the multicultural cities in the world studying anthropology. How's your life right now? How do you enjoy it? It's... It has been an adjustment and it really took me about four months or so to feel like, yeah, like feel good being here, mm-hmm. but it is really, really amazing. And it's such a, such a vast difference from Tokyo. Like Tokyo mm-hmm. is such a cosmopolitan city as well, but it, it, and there is a great international community, but like the multiculturalness and the diversity and the opportunities here in London mm. are a next, next level, I think. Yeah. And like being able to, I don't know, I just step out of my apartment and I could go take a pottery class or I could go mm. listen to slam poetry or I could attend a writing workshop or mm. I could go see 
cool music from all over the world and yeah and there's just so many things to do it's kind of overwhelming but it's also mm. very exciting and and coming to the UK is also kind of like similar to Peace Boat in that right now like my research is around Japan and like Japanese mm. identity and, and things like that and so I've left the country again to study the country or to interact wow. with Japan so I love that I can be outside of the country and kind of like look at look at Japan from a different angle and I think mm. I really needed that because I, I had been in Japan for eight years and and um, I didn't want to feel like too stuck like I wanted to be able to like leave once to kind of analyze like how my life in Japan is and, and I really do miss Japan I, I love it life there is good mm. um, really really good um, and so, but it, it gave, it gave me this renowned appreciation for Japan by leaving yeah. it as well and mm. have something to compare my life to because yeah. I've spent my whole life between Japan and the U S and mm. those are just both comfortable homes to me. I needed yeah. to get out of my comfort zone and to feel something else. Yeah. And, and yeah, so I've, I've really enjoyed being here in London and I just finished my papers for last term like two days ago. So now oh, I'm congrats. like, <laughs> thank you. So, so I've been like really like taking it in yesterday. I walked like 20,000 steps, like walking wow. around the city, like exploring and um, I'll be doing the same today and like just taking a few days off to really like taking the city and to explore yeah. and to experience before I get back into my research. <laughs> wow, that sounds amazing. Wow, thanks for sharing. Yeah. Okay, so what, one last question. So I asked this question to all my guests. So what is your favorite book or podcast that you like to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, I think this is probably one that is very common and a lot of people listen to, but I really love This American Life and oh, Invisibilia. Okay. Yeah, so they're both um, NPR-produced podcasts. And it's funny because This American Life has been going on for years, if not decades. And I remember listening to it in the car with my dad as a child and hating it wow. because, I wanted, because I wanted to listen to the radio, you know, listen to pop music. Oh. Yeah, but but now as an adult, I appreciate it so much. Like it's produced by Ira Glass. He is absolutely mm -hmm. one of my heroes. Mm -hmm. He is an incredible producer and storyteller, and it's snippets of all these different stories. And it, it's called This American Life because it's stories of people in America, but they're so relatable wherever you are in the world. Mm. Um, they have different topics around like love or loss or mm. um, humiliation or aliens or whatever oh. it is, like all these different topics and have snippets of people's different stories. And it really inspires me to hone my skills as a storyteller. Mm. And so I really, really love listening to that and encourage people to listen to it because it, it is fun. And it's it's great to listen with other people. Like my friend and I always listen to it together when we go on road trips. Oh, and we're able to like fun. laugh. Yeah, it's it's fun. Yeah. We get to laugh together. We're just like when crazy things happen on the podcast, we're like, Oh my gosh, what just happened? <laughs> you know? And to be able to be in that. Um actually in, in saying that there's another podcast I'll recommend um mm. called Kerning Cultures. Um, okay. yeah. And it's, um, my, my friend actually is the producer for it. And I oh, had wow. only, yeah. And, and I find we've been like internet friends for years, um, d done like work together in the past and finally met him when I moved to London because he lives here and he told me he's the producer for this and it's stories from the Middle East. Um, wow. and North Africa and there's some really really beautiful stories that come out of it um, and they host these listening parties in London so I've attended one before and I'm, I wow, hope they to wow, they host wow yeah super so it's, cool. yeah so it's like you know movie wow. viewings but instead it's listening parties so you get to listen to the podcast with a room full of people that's and so cool it's yeah it's really really um wow. such an enriching experience um to go through listening to that and the journey of the stories together with other people and so I highly recommend kerning cultures Cultures. I'll definitely check it out. Like, yeah. thank you so much. I haven't listened to those podcasts, but like, I'll, I'll definitely check it out. Thank you. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for today. Um, any, is there anything that, that I missed, uh, you know, asking you today? Any, anything that you want to, you want to, you want to tell us like before we wrap up? 
No, I don't think so. But I just want to thank you for this opportunity and to for reaching out to me. Um, it's been so great to talk to you. And I really do hope that we'll keep in touch. And yeah, you know, you're, you're creating this great community through your podcast as well. Mm -hmm. So I hope that there's an opportunity for many of us who have been on your podcast, to maybe uh, to connect in the future too. Yes, I would love that idea. Wouldn't it be amazing? <laughs> like all of us, yeah. like so married and just like, you know, totally. wow. that's so cool. Well, thank you so much, Dina. Um, yeah, I mean, Thanks. Thanks for your time today. I really enjoyed our conversation. A lot of like, top, you know, different topics and deep conversation. I really, really enjoyed so much. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Lucy. <laughs>